Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupiton. This week on the show, a genre-defining Western swing trio that has quietly crafted over 13 records and has traveled a quarter century on the road together, the Hot Club of Cowtown. Hot Club's journey began with some old-school kismet in the mid-90s when the ever-hustling fiddler Lana James placed an ad in New York's Village Voice in search of a band to join. That's when she met the Fleet Finger guitarist Whit Smith, and after trying to front their big band in the big city, they relocated to Austin, Texas, kicked everybody else out, and focused on the magic that only they could create together. Vintage string band music that flew forward at a full gallop. It was by pairing their shared obsession with the speakeasy swing of Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli, the lonesome ethereal blues of Hank Williams, and the lilting hollers of Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys that they found their own sound. And once they added the pounding power of Jake Irwin on the upright bass, they were really off and running, becoming fixtures at the famed Continental Club on Congress Street and attracting attention on a national and then international stage. Soon they weren't just picking for people playing pool and clutching each other in the dark, they were opening for Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson in baseball stadiums, playing festivals all over England and Japan and Australia, and they were even asked by the State Department to represent America as musical ambassadors in Armenia, Algeria, and the Sultanate of Oman. What started as a hopeful ad in the paper, a band of misfits from Kansas and Massachusetts trying to preserve a lost Texas sound, became a band that was inducted into the Texas Swing Hall of Fame. But for me, it was that humble live record taped in that tiny club in Austin full of smoke and shouting dancers that would have a lasting impact on me as a young songwriter and performer trying to find my own way. I wanted to capture whatever they had captured in that club that night. I wanted to make old music new and make new music a bit more warm and worn in somehow, like it had been around forever, a sound that could exist in a speakeasy anywhere in time, anywhere in the world. Now some may say, why hasn't a band like Hot Club tried to evolve their sound, change with the times? Don't they get bored playing those same dusty standards night after night at club after club? Wouldn't you want to add a bigger band and have a bigger tour? Maybe add drums or electronics or anything that could elevate them above that humble circuit that they keep returning to. But you know what? Maybe bigger isn't better. It takes courage to stick to your vision, to play what you really love. Because if you hear Alana rip into a fiddle solo, or Wit lift off his arch top, or Jake thump away on his bass, you know it's them. It sounds like them. That has to be earned. That has to be lived in. Everything changes whether you like it or not. But maybe not everything has to. Not yet. On this episode, we're lucky enough to have these guys record two live songs. And man, is there anything better than guitar, fiddle, and bass going full tilt around one mic? So we're going to start the show and end the show with a song. But there's actually a twist to the story. For the first time, Alan and the boys are going to be doing something new this year. They're going to be going into the studio to record all original songs. And that's the thing that they don't get enough credit for. They sneak in their originals here and there throughout their sets, and you don't even notice because they're that good. They seem to be from another time and place, but they're not. They were written last week in the van. I was lucky enough to tour with them earlier this year with my gang Dust Bowl Revival, and uh, I caught up with them, snuck them all around a couch, and got them to dive into their memories a bit and to see what's coming up next for them. So here they are now, the Hot Club of Cowtown. 
acres in the valley. I got 160 acres of the best. Got an old stove there that'll cook three square. And a bunk where I can lay me down to rest. Papa John, you greet the sun. I've forgotten what a caroler means. Head for home when day's done. With my pocket money jingling in my jeans. I got 160 acres full of sunshine. I got 160 acres above. I got an old paint horse. I'm the guy who's boss on the 160 acres that I love. Hotel here in Chico, California, and uh, we're gonna go around and introduce ourselves. I'm Alana James. What do you play? The fiddle. Ooh. Hey, uh, this is Jake Irwin. I play the bass and sing a little bit. And I'm Whit Smith, and I play guitar and sing. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, since we're in a hotel, about a story you told me the other day about being awoken in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> at another California hotel. Yeah. Wanted to save that for the podcast. I mean, it frightened me when you told me, so I need to hear it again. Very briefly. Um, actually, I was driving to pick up Whit and Jake in Portland. We had, a, we had like a three-day layover between San Francisco and Portland, so I was driving up, meandering, looking forward to driving through all the redwoods and stuff, and I booked a hotel in Crescent City, which I'd never even heard of, on the way northern California coast, and had a little, you know, view of the ocean and Ooh. stuff. A really nice picture on Priceline. So anyway, good. I get there and it was like a, a hellhole. And I had this crappy, disgusting room. But I thought, you know what? Fine, I can live with it. And I went out to dinner and I came back to my room and I stayed up. And then I got in bed and I went to bed. And in the middle of the night, something woke me. And a I, ghost? I, I, something woke me, but I didn't know what it was. And I <laughs> turned on the light. And it had felt as if something scampered across my hair. No. But, <laughs> but I thought, what could scampered. that possibly no. be? So I, I, I turned on the light and I thought, you know, and I thought it was nothing. And I thought, no, it had to be something because I'm awake. It awakened me. So I sat there with the light on for a while and I heard this like vibration sound from underneath the pit. It was like, oh no. And I thought, what is that? You know? And then I heard something in the wall that sounded like a rat. But you know, when a rat is in a wall, it's just in the wall. It can't get into the room. It's in the wall. And I heard this thing. I was like, well, there's a rat in the wall. Scratching and And then I heard around. this like, and I looked up, and a rat emerged from behind, you know, the thing no. that this, the TV sits on. A rat emerged from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and you know, because I was on tour alone with all of our gear, I had sworn to Whit and Jake that I would bring all their crap in every night so that it would be safe. So I had taken in the upright bass, Wit's vintage amplifier, his guitar. I had everything that I had loaded in on the cart. And in the middle of the night, I, like, threw my clothes on. Grabbed it all, went downstairs. And then the next place we showed up, the Sisters Folk Festival, I, I opened my suitcase 
and there was a rat turd. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I think there were two rats in my room that night. One was oh. under the bed, and that was the one that ran across my hair, and then there was one behind the TV stand. This, is, this is in the United States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to tell us what hotel that was, Alana? I can't even remember. I, I called the health department, because when I checked out, I told I didn't even check out. I got a full refund, but I told the guy that... um. That I, you know, there was a rat in my room, and he was like this older guy, and he was like, "Ha ha ha, you sure wasn't squirrel." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, because I wasn't gonna call the health department if he took me seriously, but he yeah. was so condescending. I was like, "Ding ding ding ding, I'm calling yeah. the health department." It's just the hotel's pet rat, right? Just, so yeah, I don't. He I don't goes remember. from room to room to greet all the new guests. <laughs> right. Wow. That's right. Yeah, when we when you were doing that drive, like I thought, you know, you'd go up the coast and you'd. Pick out a nice bed and breakfast, you know, on the coast. How come you ended up staying well, at a skeevy scuzz hole? Because they were so expensive. Like, it was like two hundred and ninety. Oh yeah, yeah but California you had the day, you had the day so. off. But like, it was, like, it was I, meant to be like restful I know. and like I was gonna write in my journal and, and sit on my balcony and smell you could have splurged a little bit for like a nice place. Well, I try to be you know cozy a, little grandma with lots of doilies you. and. Permission those, to embezzle those band funds. Like right. Seven hundred and eighty dollars a night. But okay, I'll keep that in mind for the future. Next time. Oh yeah. We, we our our old bass player uh, was has now become an accountant. Uh-huh. And stepped away from the band. Actually, do that more full time. Yeah. Uh, probably make more money. We wondered as taxes were going in. We're like. I wonder if he's embezzling money. <laughs> like, and he's like the most Boy Scout, like, goody two-shoes guy who would ever, like, never do that. Yeah. But we're like, but what if he was? Yes. I wonder. Yeah. But what if? It's almost like the guilt that he would have being such a Boy Scout would be punishment enough. <laughs> like, we don't even have to say anything. We're like. You'd <laughs> be so tortured internally. Yeah. What is the, do you remember stealing every, anything as a child? Oh, you know, like is that barely. a bass player thing? Maybe? No, not really. You mean not like not stealing? Yeah, probably. Do you have guilt about I s- mean, the smallest things? Yeah. I remember feeling guilty if I would sort of fake not going to school. Uh huh. And uh-huh. I'd be like, just stay home. My mo- right. like, mom thinks you're sick. A day and then I'd be like, yeah, but like maybe. Like, but no, I don't know. I just think it's like people with a conscience. So I don't know. Well, I have a conscience, and I stayed home a lot. <laughs> I used to play hooky a lot. To shred on your guitar at home? Yeah. No, no, um, no, I like to, to play with my toys, and because and I hated school, yeah. you know, basically. Where'd but you grow up? That was in Connecticut, in, uh, in Massachusetts, too. I was in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. But, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really into school so much. It got funner as it got older. But, you did know. you play hooky? I did. I want to learn how to... Uh... Plagiarize or whatever, you know, fake my dad's signature. My dad had a very easy signature, so I would write a, type a note and then sign his signature, and I never had a problem with it. But Mm. also they wouldn't have really minded. Sometimes I needed to take, like, a spiritual day. (laughs) Just, like, couldn't be in school. I would go to the park and, like, lie under a tree and think about my future and stuff like that. You were a deep kid. No no pot or anything like that. I just like to, like, you know, be in nature. Where are you from originally again? Well, I grew up in, like, uh, Prairie Village, Kansas, outside Kansas City. It's basically Kansas City, but it sounds better to say Prairie Village. A lot of existential angst oh, yeah. there in Kansas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, an enormous amount. <laughs> was, there a, was there a point when you were young and you started playing that you knew that music was sort of, like, the thing that you had to latch on to? I don't know. Mm. You know, I really don't. At this, I don't even know. I just have always played the violin, you know. I used to... My mom's a violinist, you know, so um. I heard her playing in the house and... Um, but I was always pretty good at it. Like, I always had a good tone, you know. I wouldn't say I practiced enough or very much or wasn't a great student overall, but I like to make a good sound on the violin, and that's something that, you know, is important. And you, then you I'm, start classical like everyone else? Yeah, but then by the time I was always into, like, um, you know, I was kind of precocious, I guess you could say. I was kind of a ham, and I also just had this, like, burning zeal to play. I mean, by the time I was 13, I had like a, a solo gig at a restaurant at this place in Kansas City called Crown Center. It was this huge like shopping atrium. Mm. And I would like stand in this restaurant and play like Suzuki book one, two, and three songs by nice. myself. And I think my mom had a crush on the maitre d'. I don't really know how I got that gig, but like <laughs> I, you, by 13, I had my first gig and then I would just go busking stuff. In it's the true. Streets. When I met Alana and, and the idea of having a band together and stuff, the, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm like a bedroom guitar player. I, we'd still be back at my apartment learning a, the material for the show we're gonna put on if it was up to me. 
And, and within three get-togethers, Alana had already found us a gig, which horrified and terrified me. But uh, that's that I think you need, true. but you need that that person yeah. who's the go-getter. Yeah. I mean, in high school, I had a band, and I was much more like, let's oh, just play in your basement and hang out. And then this friend of mine, you know, would basically call up bars mm. and places and be like, yeah, we, we have a cool rock band, you know, we're like 16, and we would play all over Chicago wow. and couldn't invite anyone we knew because it was 21 and over. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what was the goal exactly, you know, to just like impress like drunk like 40-year-olds, you know? Sure. You don't even, sure. who, who knows? I mean, I wanted to be a rock star. I, my parents used to buy me Rolling Stones records when I was a kid, and I used to, I couldn't play guitar. I just used to take my Tinker Toys were a toy back then, and I used to make microphones and wear my mom's sunglasses. And I had long hair already, and I just dance around and pretend I was Mick Jagger, and and I was wanted to be rock and rock and roll star, you know. And my mom told me I would be a rock and roll star. No one ever pointed the way or or told me how you do it. <clears throat> I just wanted it, and then uh, I got you know I actually getting into jazz music kind of bogged me down. It slowed me down, and then I met Alana. And, now here we are. I got my Tinker Toys out again. <laughs> well, you and you started. Uh, you said you were writing some of the new songs for the record that you're going to be recording today, right? Oh yeah, I was working on we're it this morning. On it today, yeah, yeah, yeah. never, never ending, nerve wracking process. It kind of blew my mind when you were like, "Yeah, I like to write the songs that I record." Like days before we go into the studio. Uh, I don't. I don't think I said I like to. It just tends to be the way that it happens. <laughs> well, there is a little bit of. Adrenaline that yeah. kicks in. Yeah, yeah. Now there's uh, n- a number of the songs I've written on the way to the studio or uh, or in in the studio. Yeah, we both do that. So the band has been together since 1996 in some form, right? Mm-hmm. You you uh, Alana met Wit in. We met in '94. Oh, but okay. We, but, we started, but, yeah. but yeah, but you're right with this configuration. You're right. San Diego. Kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You were... This is our 25th year actually knowing each other. Isn't that disturbing? Mm-hmm. We've seen them come, we've seen them go, and we're still... Has there ever been any fisticuffs? Yeah, in Chicago, in your hometown, we had, we had, we've had some altercations, yeah. If right. I were a guy, we'd have probably gotten into a lot of, like, physical fist fights where someone would be hospitalized, but I think when a person is, when one's female and one's male, you have to just... I guess you know, that, you know, maybe, yeah, then you have to work it out like civil people eventually Ish. eventually yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> the one time in the back of a cruiser <laughs> you'll never dream the audience you know has no clue and they don't need to and also I mean who knows what goes on in people's families and personal relationships but you know a band is something that is idealized so so much by people um, do you burn hot or burn cold what does that mean like do you bottle up emotion or do you explode no, I don't know. I for sure used to bottle it up and then explode, but, but now, now I, I just uh, I don't know what I do now. I seem to handle it better. Well, you uh, you know we're all not young anymore in this mm. in this room, right? So we can like m- mature. Well, I don't know, you know what that means exactly. Hopefully, right? What? No, but like I think I think grow. like when you're you've been <laughs> around a bit, you know, it's like you eventually realize what's worth it or what's not worth it to get. Mm. That's upset good, about good point yeah and I feel like that's true I've tried to, especially about like money and stuff like I'm trying mm-hmm. to be like does it really matter mm. you and know the answer is yes it does <laughs> but is there anything I can do about it right now right, right. yeah going on stage right. yeah, no, to right. play a show for right. some people who paid money to see some good music right. yeah. yeah our our I mean that's the magic and the success right there is that when we go on stage no one seemed to know yeah no one seemed to know how bad things might might be. And I'm not saying they're bad all the time by any means. It's just, uh, it's an intense, you know, being in a band and you're, you know, being sort of artistic and putting your heart into everything and having to make compromises you don't agree with or don't want to do. Not, you know, awkward time frames. And you know, there's a lot. Mm. There's a lot of weird stuff that's not even worth talking about that happens every day on the road. Just, you know, boring, silly stuff. But it amounts to a... You know, it can be a tinderbox. Right. <laughs> if you listen closely to like most of my songs, they're about like death and loss and you know the scattered bones of my past, basically. Even though I probably present as like a, a, a happy soul on stage on some level, but like you know, the songs can get somewhat dark. But getting to know you a little bit, my favorite thing about you is that little edge 
a little knife underneath the smile. <laughs> I don't trust people. I don't trust people who are purely happy all the time. <laughs> the knife underneath. Well, you write a song about me, Kathy. Called the knife underneath the smile. Well, you write. You do a song almost every night about going back to your high school reunion, right? Right. And sort of people telling you, "Hey, how awesome that you're living your dream." Right. But it has this sort of connotation of. Screw you, kind of. Well, I mean, you know, you know I was yeah. just thinking about that song. I, I like that song a lot, but I mean, it what it is is it's a song that I think it's really about the perils of following your dream, following your bliss. It's like that's something that our culture, you know, you know, find your passion and yeah. follow it, live your dream, make it happen, make it come true. And it's like, especially being female, you know, it is not easy to. You may have six or seven dreams, and to have them all simultaneously come true is simply not an option, you know. And so you kind of, as you get older, like you said, you start to narrow these ideas about which dream can be threaded through the eye of the needle, you know? Mm. And so as you start to narrow that down, it's like the, it is about, it's the song for everybody really about the perils of, of following that dream. Have you recorded that song? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. album is that on? It's on uh, Wishful Thinking. And it's on mine. I have like, what's on my solo record too? It's called Reunion. Yeah. the name of the song. Give me the chorus. Read the lyrics of the chorus of that. Uh, oh, the chorus is just, we're so proud, we're so pleased, we're so glad you're living your dream. Is that what it is? I always think, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and it could be just my dark sense of humor. three blind mice, though. The melody is three blind mice. But the, my dark sense of humor is like, when people are like, we're so proud, we're so pleased, there's that element of like, well, you know. We have real jobs right. and families, and you're out uh, traipsing the world, dream. and good luck with that. In yeah. a sense, but I've got to be not to yeah. dwell on this particular thing, but the guy who did say that to me at the party, I mean, it is based exactly on what happened, but this very, really cool guy did come over to me as soon as I got to that party, and I hadn't seen him in years, and he's an artist. He's a very artistic, cool person, and he was just like, oh, Lana, it's just so great to see what you've been doing. I'm so I'm so proud. We're just so pleased, and have you met my wife? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And then his, you know, his beautiful wife, and it's like all, all of the people have, you know, their, their, their children and everything, and it's like, it is, it's like, it can be like a, a lonely and alienating process to follow that, whatever that voice is, that little still small voice, and everybody has it, just not everybody. Does some have more than one. the same way. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have several. You guys have, has everyone been married or is married, or how, how, do, how do the relationships survive? We the Arkansas state line, I <laughs> Yeah, now. we've all been well, except Alana hasn't been married yet. I'm so waiting. She's yeah. Yeah. Near misses. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's one of my songs on the next record. Yeah. I'm married. All's fine. Married with children. Married with children. How yeah. many kids? Three. One. Two at home. Yeah. That's right. And what do they think of their dad being a roving guitar player? I think they like it. I like to go to their school and play for their classes. They're only four and six years old. Oh. You know? Yeah, they're little guys. No, they, they like it. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to be away from home, but uh, they've always had that, so they I'm sh- it's not as hard for them probably because they're used to that. And it them you know for the sacrifice of being away, you you're making a you know a physical example of, uh, um, you know you got to do something. You're really doing something. You're not. Uh, I don't know. You're doing something you're, that you want to do. I mean, I, when well, I go home, doing something you love is, is, you love, is hard to do. That's mm. right, and you're, you're, you know, it takes a sacrifice. I mean, when I get home, I spend a lot of time with them. You know, people call me up when I go home, and they're like, "Hey, wait, you're in town? Let's do a gig." I'm like, "No, I, yeah, family I gotta, time. I, it's family time now." Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, make up for it, which I think the balance is fine. I think it works. It's a different kind of life. It's a different schedule, obviously. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of trade-offs and stuff, but you're always. But then, conversely, when you're on the road, it feels like you're working 24 hours a day. Oh yeah, you're because never... you're away from home. You're yeah. sacrificing that kind of normal schedule and that kind of normal life and stuff. And this kind of music yeah. too. I mean, I for me, I I have to practice. I gotta practice. You gotta practice singing. You gotta practice playing the guitar. You gotta in order to practice, you need to learn things that and they all take an unreasonable amount of time to you know. The people think, oh, you don't have to practice anymore. It's like. Certain jobs, you know, now you know how to do it. Now when you're day off, your day's off. Mm. It's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. If I stop doing this, I'll be as rusty as, you know, I can't. So you got to keep working on it. And in order to make it exciting and fresh, since most of what we do, or a lot of what we do is improv, you got to keep sharpening the tools and keep learning, adding to the, di- you know, the repertoire and your vocabulary. So it's, 
I'm, I'm, my wife likes to kid me that I watch you know, soap operas. I don't. I don't watch any TV at all. But she always says, how are Victor and Nikki today with, you know? Characters? Yeah. Because you sit around doing nothing. Yeah, she likes to pretend I'm doing nothing. Because she's out. She's like your wife. She has the job now. Sure. People who haven't heard you, uh, you know, you guys are definitely, I think, the gold standard of preserving Western swing and uh, sort of this acoustic music that, Maybe started hundred years ago or so, and then also Django Reinhardt and and the Gypsy Swing, and sort of bringing it into this combination of uh, different folk sounds. Um, and a lot of your stuff is are you know is reinterpretations of the classic songs, and then sort of threading in some originals. Um, what is the process of choosing? songs for you like how do you know which songs that you want to honor by playing them every night because there's a million songs that you could cover mm-hmm. or there's songs that could fall away it's a it's a bit abstract not to dodge the question because there are songs that for instance i might be a song i really like and we try to do it and it just mm-hmm. doesn't convince me that this is this is one you know at and that's hard to say why but i so a lot of fall to the wayside because of that um and then, is there a voting process where you're like, hmm, well, there's a lot of sign off on anybody this? Anybody can present a song, and then sometimes it gets like, sometimes it's like, you know, the heavy artillery comes out of me, like, everything that's wrong with it, why it's not going to work, why it sucks, why it's bad, why we're never going to do it, why it's horrible, this is impossible. And I feel like <coughs> over the years, I've, um, you know, you just like, you've got your, just to use another military metaphor, you know, you've got your, what's what's a tank? You know, you just keep going. Armor. Your armored tank. It's just like, we, we're just going to go through it. We're just going to go through it. We're just going to play it. Why don't you just sing it? We're just going to play it. You know, and I think that there's like anxiety that comes around certain times when you bring a song that might be a little different from what people are used to doing, you know, but um, anyway, that's my experience, especially writing a new song. You know, there's like this gauntlet that it has to go through. Mm-hmm. But then some songs like Standards, Sometimes, yeah, like we'd say, we'll try one, and it's like, it's fine, but do you really, as we do these shorter and shorter shows, you know, touring, maybe we'll do 90 minutes, whereas in Austin, you know, we'll play Green Hall for four hours, or our Continental Club happy hour for, we get a lot more time to stretch out and play all kinds of songs, but as time goes by, it's like you're on tour on the show, you've got 90 minutes, how, how much does that song really mean to you that you want to do that in the set? It's like you can do it, but you're going to do one less of whatever else you had in mind, so you better really love and, it. And we've started more now leaning on the originals because, you know, if we don't play our songs, no one else is going to play our songs. And that's, uh, that's I think that's ultimately good because that's what a lot of bands would do anyway. And, and something else moving along further is... Uh, I think something we try to do is make songs that could have been from another time. That's not the agenda, but that just happens to be our aesthetic. Is, mm-hmm. is you know whether it has a swing type of rhythm or a certain kind of harmony, mm-hmm. and don't want to inject obvious rock and roll things like let's rock it out a little bit, just turn up louder and use distortion or something. So that, you know all that stuff's a little abstract, but I think so. Even though yes, we we are definitely agents of of Western swing and early jazz, you know, we are, we view ourselves anyway as a contemporary band. And that's kind of a trick because you got to convince other people that you're a mm-hmm. contemporary band too. When they're at your show, I think they're, they'll sign up. They're okay with it, but it's really hard to tell people, you know, to present that ahead of time. You know, they got to let the music do the talking, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you don't want to just play in, you know, senior communities or right. something. You know, you yeah. want to say, hey, we're relevant and we're uh, preserving a certain music, but also advancing mm. it. Mm. Yeah, and, and making mm-hmm. your own sound out of it. I mean, that sounds crazy, but um, really that's what people do with rock music today. In fact, oh. in a way, rock and roll is more cliche than any type of earlier music. I'm not meaning that in a negative way at all, but just that, say, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, there are bands that are modeling themselves after those bands now that everybody, including all the magazines, call them original, right. or the new thing. <clears throat> yeah. Whereas as soon as you add the flavor of the past, even though the past, the Western swing that we draw from is late 30s to early 40s, not, you know, it's pre-World War II, mm-hmm. and, and yet everyone thinks, oh, that's old hat, you know? Mm. And sometimes old is considered easy, and sometimes a melody that you can hum is considered, like, simple and quaint. It's just, there's these yeah. distorted perceptions on, on art, because 
nobody educates us and you just go along with what you you know right with, with the masses yeah a lot of the music that we are inspired by we think you know we're motivated by because we think it's so timeless and so beautiful but a lot of that music only lasted for 10 or 20 years whereas rock and roll has been around for 60 years now right. and it's like it just sounds like people just kind of keep a lot of times recycling a lot of the same ideas that have been around you know and if you've been listening to it as long <laughs> as we have and are you able to play it then you get that intimate perspective and you're like i mean just, just the yeah. same it's stuff going it certainly going around it and certainly around. is more contemporary and people are used to hearing you know, modern instruments and modern kinds of changes and stuff like that. So yeah. it's just more familiar to a lot of people. But yeah, we're trying to create this weird little, we're not trying to be a museum piece at all, really. We're just inspired by certain things that we think are really beautiful and we try to interpret it our way, I guess. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I was just, I'll just add, we'll, just, we'll edit all that out. It's yeah. <laughs> you can cut this too, but I also, there's so many meta parallels between cooking and playing music I really think I was thinking the same thing right now and I always talk about this but you know the idea of uh, you know just because you know humankind has eaten you know steak for you know 200,000 years is it (laughs) is it out of style now you know is baking bread now passe because people have been doing it in Paris it's like it's preposterous it's Mm. like certain things resonate with a with a person with people with humanity Mm. with the community with dancing culture you know love and this idea it's related to monetizing things and it's related to the way that songs have tried to become owned and you know co-opted and stuff like that but this idea that that you know something is old and therefore of limited value and Mm. it's going to expire and be replaced by something better and more valuable is Absurd. It's like Bach. You know, Bach is old. Couldn't be that good, you know? (laughs) There's no value in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, you know, well, there's also, that's another related issue is that there's this, like, big focus on having, like, did you write it? You know, did you write that song? Like, that's really, did you write it? Well, who cares if you wrote it? Because basically, did Billie Holiday write all those songs? No. Uh -uh. Did, you know... Just that's irrelevant. It's is that person able to embody whatever that is that's flowing from like the unknown whatever? And the great interpreter was mm. kind of uh, is a lost art. Mm. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, Elvis, Frank Sinatra, Arthur Rubinstein. You can. But yeah, but like all so, day. I mean, like some of my favorite songs, like that song, okay, Lover Man. You know that song? I mean, it's like yeah. an incredibly beautiful standard. Someone to watch over me. Look, who can't understand? Who can't identify? That's why the song is popular and famous and so well beloved. Anybody can feel and get inside a song like that's what makes the song so incredible, you know. But I will say, and I totally agree, one hundred percent. But if when I sing a song that I wrote to the audience and they get into it, that is pretty rewarding. Mm-hmm. That does feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. And 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 then even though it it might be for reasons which in a discussion you might find to be you know not that important. It's still at the moment. It feels pretty important. It feels pretty good to have done it. So, and it's a good challenge. It means you got to go to work. You know, you got to. I think writing, for, yeah. for years, I coming from a, a I'm a writer place mm-hmm. was like I'm gonna write all these different types of songs, and I don't ever want to learn all these other songs mm. because that would take away like the brain bandwidth from my own work, mm. and then you realize. You can't actually grow as a writer and a right. singer and a, and, a, and a musician if you don't actually know why these songs work. Right, mm-hmm. or, or it could you come know? from a tradition that's already, you're going to continue a tradition unknowingly or knowingly, and that's where it's going to come from. That's like When we, I think, start to write songs, the first thing that I used to do, and I still do, is listen to a lot of music, stuff I really love, write down the words, look at the chords, play along, come up with a melody. I mean, those are that's like a, a cue on how to continue. And you'll write something that sounds absolutely nothing like what inspired it, but I kind of use that as like scaffolding to create a new song, you know? Did you write the song Sleep? Yeah. Yeah, yep. and that's off of, uh, I think, my favorite record of yours, uh, Ghost Train. Yeah, I think uh, Gurf Morlicks, we worked with Gurf Morlicks, and... Uh, that, I in many ways that's my favorite record too. It does. It has a lot of character. The whole record has a lot of character. Paradise with you. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, original. Like those songs feel like they could have been floating around a tiki bar in like the forties. <laughs> you know, like they just have this really cool spooky romance to them. Cool. Um, and going back to our first topic of the rat, the rat in the hotel room. <laughs> If you're on the road and you can't sleep, what do you try to do? Oh my gosh! I, I Let's listen, go around the room. I listen to music. I, I, it's you hard. You fall asleep listening to music. I will. I can. Uh, 
so I try to remember to do that because I, I will probably toss and turn and have uh, conversations with people in my head, you know, arguments, debates, whatever the anxiety is at the moment that keeps you up. Uh, but then if I can, I'll, I'll, it took practice, but to, you know, just put on something that's not too busy, not music that you want to strive to, not Charlie Parker, not something you want to be like, but, you know, something, Arthur Rubinstein is actually a good one. You just put that in the back, he's just mm. playing gentle and just whew, bring it down. That that works uh, more or less. That'll work for me. Give me give me the words to the first verse. Sleep, sleep. Yeah. Oh sleep, mmm sweet sleep. Why won't you come find me? Must you always remind me of all the things I've left undone? That's it. Keep going. It's dark. It's out. dark out. The lights out. My mind should be dimming, but I thrash like I'm swimming. Elusive sleep. Why won't you come? There you go. I love that song. What about you? I can usually, uh, if I'm tossing and turning, I can usually read myself to sleep. Mm. I've, I've usually got two or three books on the road with me. So, just, what are you reading right now? Um, just some kind of mindless, you know, fantasy, science fiction stuff, and also, you know, stuff that I'm into: hobbies, military history, and kind of camping and survival and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> how do you? Sing yourself to sleep. Oh, um, I look at um, I look at Montana real estate. Yeah, that doesn't get you too excited, though. No, it does. Then I just stay up most of the rest of the night, <laughs> <laughs> planning on how you can refinance your house. <laughs> I, I do. Ha- I have a I have a somewhat of an obsession about that. Yeah. And you go out on the trail a certain amount of the year, right? Sometimes when I I when I am allowed to by my bandmates. No, I I do. I love it. I do do that as much as possible. Do you see yourself in 20 years like being a dude ranch like leader? Mm, no, no, not exactly. That's I, what she does now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's an industry that has a pretty narrow seasonal window. Like mm. in the United States, there's a whole season, of course, in South America for that kind of stuff. But um, in the United States, summer, it's it's pretty it's a pretty narrow time. But there might be a year when I would like to just spend six solid months and just like you know block block some time because. Um, I do love it, and actually, I think it makes me a lot nicer person, and it makes my playing better. And it, you know, because you know, being on the road, it's a, it's just a brutal kind of a lifestyle, and it's also so incredibly urban. It's so mechanized. It's so you've got to deal with so many people at every. Just checking into this hotel just now, you know, I mean, every single aspect of it is just deeply um, involving of other things that you really can't control. Not that you can control being out on the trail, but nature itself is like such a healing. Rejuvenator. Yeah, so. But yeah, I get to do that. I'm going to do a little bit of that this year, so it's going to be awesome. Let's go to another song of Ghost Train. Paradise With You, which I've mentioned. There's nothing wrong with me. I can't wait to begin. Your love surrounds me. My dreams have come true. I'll take a trip on that slow boat through paradise with you. It's been a long time. I haven't sung that song. I, that song. I know. We should do it. <laughs> should do it tonight. If there was a place that you've been in this world that you would describe as your heaven on oh. earth, where would that be? <clears throat> oh, God. Uh, well, it just sounds so stupid and cliche. I mean, you know, I was just, we checked out of the hotel this morning, like... I could smell these flowers like out front of that hotel and I just um, I thought about you know I just like I find being in the wilderness just amazing the so smell, a Redding California sound. parking lot <laughs> it, 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 it because then of course I was like Alana why can't you just be happy in the Redding parking lot smelling these flowers why do you have to go off and do something yeah well so wilderness right? right but I mean mm-hmm. I think that is um, that's that's that is because I think you know not to be like a religious freak either but you know on, on earth those are the most places where if you believe in God or something like mm-hmm. that, that is where God still resides, un, unmitigated. There's Nobody's gone in and screwed that up, those places mm-hmm. on earth. And it's like, if you want to go worship something and be surrounded by God, to me, that's where you go. I, I don't, I'm not a big organized religion person, but um, those places, it's like it's a form of worship mm-hmm. in a sense, you know. Do you feel like when you're out there by yourself that that's as close to some sort of spiritual connection with the universe that there can be? In a way, yeah. Especially if animals are involved. That's also very important. You're a, a dog person, I'm pretty sure. Somewhat. Yeah, a dog. Oh, lots of animals, but yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a dog 
yes. a special dog who used to tour with you guys. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in L.A., uh, seeing you guys at the at Joe's Great American Bar, and little Eva, uh, not the singer, but the dog, <laughs> would sit right on the front of the stage yeah. very peacefully the entire show without moving. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing was that I wasn't, at a certain point, I wasn't watching the show anymore. I was just watching the dog, like, waiting for her to, like, she was a chase stage, a squirrel. She was a stage it, kid. She grew up. She was so good. She yeah. was amazing. And you know what? Um, there was one thing. Well, she she was great. And she, like, oh, when she got a little older and she didn't really want to be on stage the whole show, which is totally fine. Because all that was up to her. All of those behaviors were... She never peed on stage? No, but those were purely her oh, choices. well, actually... She threw up once when we were in... She was ill once. <laughs> Uh, and it was in California. It was a oh, yeah, 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 but she did. She did not. I don't poop. think we should mention the she venue. She didn't move on the stage, but no. But overall, I mean, she has. She, it was incredible who she was, and but you know, the main thing is that anytime she would ever um, be out with us, it was all her her own thing. She was really allowed. I was fortunate to to have such an amazing animal, but she made her own decisions and she handled her own socializing and where she wanted to be. And she so, had but, corgi. Corky Australian Shepherd. But one thing that um, she would do is she didn't sit on the stage for all of the shows as she got older. And we would do the encore. And she literally, I don't even know where she got this, but she would then come out just for the encore, go to the side of the edge of the stage, take a bow, like a downward dog bow. The dog would bow? Yes, I I, I never taught her that. And then she would sit just facing out on the audience and wait for people to come over and pet her and like take pictures with her and stuff like that. I she mean, knew she was part of the show. Absolutely. And then the other thing is that we played a festival once in uh, somewhere in the Northeast. It was like in uh, the Narrows in Fall River. They had like an outdoor festival and we got separated from each other somehow in the crowd. <laughs> and I couldn't find her. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, there are all these people. And I looked and another band was sound checking on stage, the band that was right after us. She'd gone back to the stage and got up on the stage and she was standing in the middle of the stage looking out into the crowd because that was like her spot and she knew that if she would just go to the stage that I would find her. Do you feel like she like, could talk to you? Oh yeah, I mean, she still does. What did she say? Well, I, I look to her for um, guidance and reassurance, especially during some of the songs that we do. If I get nervous, I just, like, give them over to her. Mm. Do you still get stage fright? Yes. Yeah, you do. Every, oh. you, every <laughs> night. If this show, these tours we're doing with you, I definitely do. Because it's like I get just, I get agitated mm. before the show, mm. and it, it, that's my version of stage fright I've realized over the years. It's mm. just kind of like a nervous agitation. Mm. What about you guys? No, um, n- not at all. And that's not uh, trying to sound bold. Um, it's it, just over time, it, um, you, you just, I think, just familiar with stepping out there in front of people. I mean, it's not like they're there for a different reason than they were the night before. You Eventually, you kind of learn these feelings. Well, I think there's an opposite of stage fright, which is almost worse, which is like stage numbness, hmm. right? Where there's times where I feel like, uh, you know, 10 days into a run where I'm just like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> you know? Like, I would like to be watching the baseball game in my underwear. Right yeah. Now. yeah. And it's 10.30 at night. Right, and, you and gotta, you're got to do a I show. Have, because I can't perform less than a thousand percent. You know? Like, sure. I put my entire body through the ringer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, sometimes you stand in the wings and you're like, oh, do I really have to do that? Sometimes you're feeling sick, or, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, you just had a fight with your wife or something, oh, yeah. and you're like, yeah. oh, go out there and make people happy. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you have to, to a degree, turn it on. I find that people, uh, I mean, you have to remember that people are, they're going to meet you halfway. They, they want to have a good time, mm-hmm. and that's an enormous help when, you know, some days you're just in a funk, and it's hard to, to remember that, but they want to have a good time. So you, if you only perform... I mean, you try to do a thousand percent, but if you're not kicking it, killing it, then uh, they'll usually help you along, and you and you may have a better show. Almost always, you'll have a better show than you thought you were gonna. I find. Yeah, I don't get so. I get a little bit nervous, like a little bit stage fright. But more than that, I'm actually embarrassed to be on stage. Oh yeah. It's like, why? Why am I? I mean, I know this is my job, but like. Nobody wants to listen to me play. Nobody wants to listen to me do this. You know, like, yeah. Well, there's really? a feeling like you're imposing on people. Yeah. Why do you think that yeah. they're there then if they don't want to listen? I, I to don't me know. Do that? You know, it's it's more like an embarrassment. And 
like playing, like making music, it feels so like personal and kind of intimate to me, mm. especially when you're re you really get inside the music. It's kind of embarrassed to be doing that in front of a bunch of strangers, you know? So it's it's like, I don't know. It's kind I guess of related I've just... to being naked in your bedroom, you know? It's like, this is kind of like raw, you know, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, people will tell me that like when I have facial expressions, like, oh, I just love your facial expressions. And I'm like, oh my God, I... I yeah, don't, I, I don't. I can't you do even, have good facial. Expressions. I can't even watch that. They're like, I don't even know what that is. But like Jake said, it's like if I were conscious on stage, or you know, I would try to make my face. I've tried that before to make my face kind of calm, and you know, yeah, I can't do it. Yeah, I'd wish that's that's high priority. I tried learning to stand up straight. You know, as as uh, <laughs> I'm a tall person, and as you get older, you, the tendency is to slouch and slouch and slouch. So I put my microphone up quite high, so I have to stand up straight, and that's been working. Hmm. Alana used to hit me with her violin bow when I'd be slouching. I asked you to. It was okay. It's not bad, but it's it's funny. Just <laughs> slouched over. It would be remiss of me not to at least briefly delve into you guys opening for Bob Dylan. <laughs> that was fun. Uh huh. Great yeah. catering. Oh yeah. The best catering. The catering was the highlight. No. We had lots of highlights. Yeah, lots of highlights. How uh, how many shows was it? Was it over a period of mm. months? We did one tour as the three of us. That was a great. That was about twenty three shows, I think, over about a, about five weeks or something. Yeah. It was called the Field of Dreams tour. I think we called it that. Minor baseball league uh, parks, and in fact, Eva, oh, she, yeah. it, that was outdoors. So maybe outdoors is different. But the question earlier about hmm. peeing on the stage, she <laughs> she she did run around to second base and leave a little present for somebody <laughs> back there by second base that was an amazing tour that was the first we, we did that with that that was us Willie Nelson and Bob and then uh, that was in 04 and, it was great and Junior Brown no he was on the next one yeah yeah and then then I got to play in Bob's touring band for a, a little while and then, <coughs> the, then after that we did another one where um, Wit I had a trio briefly when we had you know whatever the lost years there was only a brief period but anyway and, uh, I have an Alana James poster from that period. <laughs> Jesus. Mm. Like, that you signed mm -hmm. at, like, a mall in Orange County or something? I don't know. Did I? Oh, my you know? God. Okay. I was anyway, following along. But those tours were amazing, though. You know, and to me, the, one of the nicest things, I mean, well, there's any number of things we can tell you, but what I have found of lasting value is that, you know, in this business... You think you're just toiling in obscurity, you're just a little band, you're playing bars, you're getting in your van, you're just going... But then to be elevated into a giant production on that level and to be on a, a peer level, we're on stage, Willie Nelson's on stage, Bob's on stage, you know, those are the three acts that are going on, you know, and to be able to kind of operate in that world and see what it looks like, how people are, how people treat each other, what goes on, the schedule, the, the crew, the movement of the whole organization... I have found that extremely valuable over the years because you just realize they're just doing exactly what we're doing on a broader, on a greater level, on a broader scale, you know? It's good to see that you can do it. It's like, that's mm -hmm. the thing, you know, as a performer, you know, I, I feel like I've been performing most of my life in some form, mm -hmm. you know, you know, theater or, you know, uh, music. And a lot of times <laughs> it's fun to see your body just kick in. <laughs> like last night, honestly, like there's times where I know that lyrics are not there mm. and your body sings them anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's The cool. Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, right? That song is very difficult mm. for us to do. Like, it it's is. a weird, like, mm -hmm. like the rhythms are weird, the lyrics sort of cadence is weird. You do such a great job and, on that song. Um, I felt last night, like I have in other songs at times, my brain going... Oh no! What's the next part? Oh, yeah. And then your brain goes back with my wife in Tennessee because wow. it's just pure like you know the song. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like in you. That's like you know, it's in your fiber. It's, it's like a good feeling. At the end of the show, every night, like when we do across across the great divide together, it's like by the time I get to the last verse, it's kind of like a racehorse that just I see the finish line. It's yeah. like it's like a hundred yards away, and as soon as I like I'm running straight toward, it, I'm like. Oh my God, I remembered all the words tonight. You know? <laughs> I still have dreams where I wake up and I forget a soliloquy in a Shakespeare show I was in in college. Ah, oh, panic. It's interesting because I don't have like music dreams like that. Mm. It's still like you're about to go out there and you don't have any idea how this speech starts in the winter's tale. Oh, stress dreams, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And yet it is all in there because I know, like, uh, you know, people with dementia or Alzheimer's, um, there was a guy, um, Ken Pizzi, down in uh, San Antonio, a brilliant jazz violin player, you know, way up in years. He's gone now. Um, but he, in his last years, he could, he would still be doing gigs, doing shows, and, but the guitar player had to, you couldn't, wouldn't matter. You say, after you're gone, it wouldn't mean anything. You go, da, 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 and boom, you take off. He'd play the whole thing through, and then you'd have to kind of be like, okay, that's it, stop now. And then he'd stop. <laughs> well, those but, studies came out that Alzheimer's and dementia does not affect the musical part mm, of the brain. Yeah, oh, well, that makes sense. My, my grandmother used to sing the French national anthem all the time, and yet my mother, who wouldn't let her smoke cigarettes anymore, my grandmother would sit there and roll pieces of paper up and light them on fire because she knew she needed to smoke, but she didn't know what it was. She, oh, she, was, too, she wow. was too gone to know. Wow. We need to put that in a song. Yeah, it's in a song. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which song? Uh, it's called... Um, sing, oh, Carry Me Close. Carry Me Close. That's a great song. Well, That's one we close. don't ever do, but it's a really good song. What's, what record is that on? It's on uh, Wishful Thinking. Mm-hmm. I think we did it too slow, and of course it got no attention. But it's, uh, yeah, I like those words. I'm just going to read off your albums because this is what's impressive. Regardless of how you feel about your own career, because sometimes mm. it's easy to feel like you're, you've been pushing a rock up a hill, mm. you know, and that you've accomplished nothing. And that, you know, we're staying at the Oxford Suites <laughs> here in Chico. I've been doing this for 25 years. Very posh. Very posh. And we're still here. But no matter what you say... All of these albums are out in the universe, Ooh. starting 1998 with Swing and Stampede, 1999 Tall Tales, going into Devilish Mary in 2000. You were doing like every year for a while there, like Woody Hi, Allen style. That's right. Uh, my favorite, Ghost Train, 2002. Uh, the album that I was introduced to first, The Continental Stomp. <laughs> After that, you did a best of... So you've been around long enough, now you have a best up. <laughs> that was a bad label idea. Yeah. <laughs> and worst label art. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was the ugliest record. That yeah. one, we had nothing to do. That was an experience with a... Uh, yeah. You should have done like new songs for a, a best of like they did with Tom Petty's. Oh, that's oh, it. Well, we could do yeah. that, yeah. We could do best of volume two and make it all new songs. I Wishful never... Thinking came in 2009. Uh, rare and unreleased. Oh yeah, Ooh. why you got them all. Uh, 2010. 2011, your homage to Bob Wills, mm-hmm. What Made Bob Holler. I'm just going to keep going because there's so many of them. 2013, Rendezvous in Rhythm. Uh, 2016, Midnight on the Trail. Yeah, you might want to bury that under a tree. This is bad production, but the songs are good. Bury that on the trail. Yeah. What's funny about that title, bury that uh, on the trail. Midnight on the Trail, is that we were thinking it, it's a collection of Western songs as well. And um, we were trying to think of names and you know the names are floating around I was like no you know you need something that's evocative of like midnight on the trail that was not supposed to be the name that was supposed to be the def the definition of what the title would would yeah, be would and, and then we just called it midnight on the trail right <laughs> and then we have yeah I see you have crossing the red divide that we mm. put out for this tour and then we also have western clam bake which was our first cassette that came out in 97 first which, cassette we just reissued yes. that the last western year western clam bake folks yeah. reissued on cd yeah, yeah. Soon to be coming that out. That is a clutch of work. It's a good list track. there. Thank and now you. we're at next, uh, well, in, in two weeks, just under two weeks, we go into the studio to make a new record of the, best m- of the most volume. of, mostly best originals. All originals. Uh, it'll be, it'll be, all, it will it all, it may be all originals so. or real close. Certainly. Is there a title yet or you don't know? It's going to be best of volume two. <laughs> <laughs> now we have some ideas. Jake had a couple of good ideas. Um, Sweaty couch we'll, we'll songs. See. We'll have to see. That wouldn't yeah. be fair to say right now. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to do a creative exercise exercise where Uh-oh. we each think of a title for this new record, okay, based on one word that I'm going to tell you, okay? okay? The title of your new record is something from Clouds. Mm. Oh, I just want to say cheese, something about cheese. Something <laughs> about cheese, okay? <laughs> There's the first entry, something about cheese. All right, Jake. All right, your challenge is the new record is something from Mirror. Mirror. Ooh. The fairest of them all. Ooh. Oh. The fairest of them all. Oh, my God. All right, best for last. Your new record 
is going to have a title based on disease. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. Come Thank on, Alana. Thank you. Well, there's that song, I Got It Bad and That Ain't Good. Mm. That could be related to a disease, but we've already recorded that. Could be. Yeah, I got it bad. and Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. I got, um, it, I got it bad. That is kind of interesting because you're like, it's the sort of weird duality in the English language. Mm-hmm. Right, know? right. I got it bad, but it feels so good. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's implied, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you guys. Thank you, Zach. In, in this sweaty hotel room. Mm-hmm. Uh, what song would you like to play oh, around Lord. this mic? Are we going to do a song right now? That's how this works. Uh-huh. Let's do okay. it. Yeah, we'll play you one. Sure. You guys have played music together before, right? <laughs> 20,000 years of experience. Here we go. What's this song called? It Stops With Me. There they go, the Hot Club of Cowtown. You can go to hotclubofcowtown.com for their tour dates and their music. 
and uh, they just released a really cool EP uh, of songs by the band called Crossing the Great Divide, and uh, I was able to do a tour with them in my group Dust Bowl Revival, uh, playing the 50th anniversary of the first few records by the band, and we actually have one show left on the East Coast uh, Labor Day weekend at the Rhythm and Roots Festival in Rhode Island. We will be playing those songs again, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And if you want to see Hot Club out on the road coming up, they're going to be playing shows in Kansas and in uh, Missouri and in Texas and in Colorado, and uh, then we'll see them out in Rhode Island in August. June will mark uh, the first big tour for my gang, Dust Bowl Revival. We'll be starting June 14th at the Thunderbird Music Hall in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, going over to uh, Sellersville Theater in uh, Pennsylvania near Philadelphia, and then up to the wonderful Mountain Jam Festival, which is uh, in Woodstock, where the original Woodstock Festival was held, June 16th. That's Father's Day. Uh, We're going to be going through New England and then Ohio, and uh, ending that tour June 30th at Rompfest in the Woods in Kentucky. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs, with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. Hi, this is Henry K host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.